Amen. This morning, uh, we're going to be in Galatians 5. So go ahead and find Galatians 5 in your Bible. Again, we're going to be in Galatians 5 uh, every week for several weeks, uh, looking at the fruit of the Spirit as we introduced last week. And um, last week, we talked about, rather, before we start diving into looking at the actual fruit and the nature of it and what it looks like, uh, it was important last week that we talked about where that fruit comes from. We talked about how um, the seed that you plant determines the kind of tree that you grow, right? So the fruit is born of the seed, and the seed of any spiritual Christian virtue, any good things that come out of our life, the seed of that is the Holy Spirit. It's not us, right? It doesn't come from us. It comes from the Holy Spirit. We are incapable of producing or maintaining any real spiritual fruit in our life that, that is, is significant and that is real. Um, the Holy Spirit is not only the source of it, he's the seed, but he is also the sustainer of it. He is the reason that we can continue to grow the fruits of the Spirit out of our life. He, I said in the earlier service, it's, it's not a handoff. It's not like a football play where the quarterback takes the ball from the center and hands it off to the running back and the running back carries it down the field. The Holy Spirit doesn't do that with the fruits of the Spirit. It's not that he that God gives us the fruits of the Spirit and then hands them off to us and expects us to run with them. It, it, it's it, it, all by ourselves. It's, it's a work. The reason that they can continue in us is also because of the Holy Spirit. So today we're going to begin to look at the actual fruit. Okay, we talked about the Holy Spirit last week. Today we'll begin to look at the actual fruit. What is the fruit of the Spirit? Um, and what does it look like when it's lived out in our lives? Um, and I know that the first thing we're going to want to do when we read in Galatians 5 and, and verse 22, we're going to want to start with love. And we will start with love. We'll talk about and reflect on that a little bit this morning. But before that, there, there's some other things that I want us to understand to help us moving forward through all of this list of characteristics that Paul gives us in Galatians 5. Um, remember what Paul is doing here. He is contrasting the difference in the works of the flesh in our life versus the works of the Spirit. And we talked about last week how the Holy Spirit is in us, but yet we are still trapped in our human flesh, our sinful nature. And so those two things are constantly battling each other on a daily basis. And you and I don't have to think very long to think of examples of how that plays out in each one of our lives. We experience that battle every day, sometimes every minute of the day. We are, we are experiencing that battle. And so there are three specific things that, that Paul says is different about the fruits of the Spirit versus the works of the flesh that we haven't talked about yet that I want us to cover before we begin talking about each one of the individual characteristics. So note takers, I'm, I've got lots of stuff for you. You're going to love it today. Okay, so here's number one. Number one is this, the difference um, the works of the flesh are plural. The fruit of the Spirit is singular. Okay? Now, that sounds like an English lesson. And it kind of is. Because we want to study God's Word that way. We want to know exactly what the words mean and, and how that applies. So, let's look at the difference there. 
uh, in Galatians 5, look at verse 19 through 21. This, this is where Paul describes those works of the flesh. Verse 19 says, now the works, with a big fat S on the end, that is what? Plural. The works of the flesh are obvious. And then he gives us a big long list. And so just consider all of these things. Sexual immorality, that, that's the Greek word porneia, which is where we get our English word pornography from. It encompasses all of sexual immorality, anything you can think of in that realm. Moral impurity, big umbrella there. Promiscuity, idolatry, and we're starting to talk about worship, idolatry, sorcery. That word sorcery is actually um, the word pharmakeia, which is the word we derive from our, get our English word pharmacy from. So there's an implication of, of um, the use of substances, altering like in, in pagan worship. So that kind of applies to us like in, in drug use, drug abuse, that sort of thing. There's a, there's a tie there. Hatreds, which is hatred is like the hostility that comes from your anger. Strife, that word strife just means quarrelsome, that, the act of being contentious all the time, of constantly um, pitting yourself or other people against one another, just provoking quarrels and fights. Jealousy, we know what that is. Outbursts of anger. Selfish ambitions. Dissensions and factions, that, that's talking about division and disunity. Any kind of works or acts that, that tear people apart in families or, or, or at your job, causing disunity or dysfunction in your job, in your family, or even in the church, being dissentious. So, and then verse 21, envy, drunkenness. And carousing, that word carousing is, is kind of a fun word to say, but it, it encompasses, it, it literally means riotous night living. So you can, you can picture like the people who just live for the nightlife, just this ultimate partying, that kind of thing. That's what carousing is about. So there's a whole list of these works and anything similar. And so Paul, again, warns and says, those who practice these things, if these are characteristic of your life most of the time, there's a good chance that the Spirit is not present in your life. And if the Spirit is not present in your life and you're not, you're not saved, then that means that you won't be in the kingdom. This is, this is, the, this is the outward expression of the flesh. So these are all things that, that we can be driven to do if we are being controlled by our flesh. And this is not even an exhaustive list because he says at the end there, verse 21, and anything similar. You say, well, what kind of things are similar? Well, I shouldn't have to tell you because you go back to verse 19. He says the works of the flesh are what? Obvious. It's easy to tell. It's easy to tell the difference between the works of the spirit and the works of the flesh because they are so drastically different. Sometimes, sometimes with my kids, I, I, I kind of have this thing that I tell them all the time that, 
If there's something that they're asking about, like, should I do this? Or should I, should I wear this? Or should I do this? Or should I say this? Or should I do these things? And there's just this simple rule that I throw at my kids all the time. I'm like, well, if you have to ask, then safe, safe way is to just say no. Because the, the, the works are, are obvious. So that's the works of the flesh. But then the, the fruit of the Spirit, verse 22 and 23. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is all of these things. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And the law is not against such things. A drastically different list of things. And he says that the law is not against such things. What does he mean by that? Well, if we look at these things in comparison to those works of the flesh, if we go through that list of the works of the flesh, we could also go back and look at the law and find that God established a law forbidding his people to participate in all of those things. In verses 19 through 21, there is, there's a law that God established against those things and said, this is not what I want for you. Don't do these things. But there's no law that God ever established against any of these. And that's basically what Paul is saying. Also, he's saying it's very obvious the difference because not even man makes laws against these things, right? You don't get thrown in prison for being patient. Or uh, self-control never starts a war, does it? No, like these are, these are obvious things that even, even unregenerate sinners look at these things and see the virtue in these. So there's no law that God has established against any of these. There's also no law that man has established against any of these things. But the way he defines the fruit of the Spirit is very different in verse 22. You would think that maybe Paul just doesn't have his English right because he, he uses the word fruit in verse 22 and then he lists all of these different things. And you might think, well, shouldn't there be an S on the end of fruit because these are fruits. He's, he's listing multiple different things. Well, no, he's not got his grammar wrong. We maybe have our understanding wrong. The difference is that he uses a singular word for fruit. That word for fruit is in, in the grammar of his language is singular, where the works of the flesh is a plural word. So that's number one. There's a difference. We'll say, well, what's the second one? It leads into the second one. Number two, the works of the flesh are selective. The fruit of the spirit is unified. This is why one is plural and one is singular. The works of the flesh are selective. That means that even though we could look at that list of all of those fleshly things, those sinful works that come out of our life, we could associate many of those things together. We could look at, at, at um, let me go back to my list here. We could look at promiscuity and sexual immorality and say those are very closely tied together. We could say idolatry and sorcery are tied together, that strife and jealousy and outbursts of anger and selfish ambitions, all of those, they're listed separately, but they're very much almost like a web. They're just kind of, they can be very much tied together. But he lists them separately because um, not everyone practices all of these things all the time. 
praise the Lord, right? All, all, all people who are, who are unsaved, any, anybody who's operating or living in the flesh doesn't practice all of the works of the flesh all of the time, and it's a good thing. But they're selective, which means at any moment, at any time, someone can be engaged in any of these several things. Literally, pick your poison. Here's a, here's a whole smorgasbord of the works of the flesh. You're not going to be doing all of them all at the same time, but we move from one to the other, right? We, get, we dive into one and get, and, and get into that one, and then we'll move from that one and move to another one, and we'll go back and forth and move around. It's selective. But the fruit of the Spirit is very different. <clears throat> Sometimes, obviously, when you hear the word the fruits of the spirit you or fruit of the spirit because we often say fruits and that's a misquote don't say fruits it's the fruit of the spirit and you may think of like literal you may walk through the produce section at Walmart over the next 8 weeks and think oh fruit of the spirit look at all the different things there's bananas and apples and oranges and grapefruits and all these different things the, if you were going to use a picture of like a literal fruit to, to help you understand what the fruit of the Spirit is, I think the best one is grapes. Like this is the picture. You don't go to the grocery store to buy a grape, do you? You don't put grape on your grocery list. You, you go to buy grapes because they come in a big cluster. They're all together. It's, it's one fruit. But they're, and even though there's individual identities to all of them, they come together. They're all connected together. And if you want to think about all of these characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit, maybe that's the best illustration when it comes to a literal fruit, but they are all unified. There is unity of all of these characteristics in the life of a believer. It's not like the works of the flesh where you say, well, I struggle with this one and I struggle with that one. But, but we complicate it and we misunderstand it when we say, oh, well, I'm good with love and I'm good with joy, but patience, I don't have any patience. Or self-control is something I'm just really not good at. And we give ourselves an excuse and we say, well, that's just me. I'm just not patient. I'm just not self-controlled. The understanding that Paul is trying to help us understand here is that if, if you have the spirit you have the fruit of the Spirit. And if you have one of those things, you have all of them because they're all the same fruit. Because it's singular. They're all unified together. All of these characteristics should be present in all believers all the time. This should be the picture of what our lives look like. So they're, they're plural and singular because one is selective and one is unified. Here's number three. The works of the flesh are actions while the fruit of the spirit is the attitude that brings action. If you go back to verses 19 through 21, you'll see all of those are, are action words. All of the works of the spirit are actions, works of the flesh, I'm sorry, are actions but when we look at the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, I hope by the end of this series you'll be able to do that too. Just run through all of them and not even have to look. 
all of those things are more, they describe more attitudes. They're like, what, what Paul's talking about in Galatians specifically here is like attitude fruit, right? But attitude fruit is not all we're called to, right? It's not just about changing our attitude because attitudes that don't result in actions aren't, aren't very useful, are they? What, what good is it to have an attitude that doesn't result in an action? It's real similar to what James says in his epistle when he says, if, if you claim to have faith, then show me your works. Like faith that doesn't come out in works is a dead faith. It doesn't do anything. It's not profitable for anything. The same way, if we say that as Christians, we have all of these attitudes, yet they don't come out of our life in action, then it's useless. On the other hand, to produce action without the proper attitude is hypocrisy. Which is exactly what Jesus was calling out the religious leaders and the Jews for. They had all of the works. They had all of the, the, the produce, what was supposed to have been coming out of them. But they had nothing in their hearts. Their attitude was wrong. They, they were producing these things out of the flesh rather than out of the fruit of the spirit. And so the fruit is meant to produce something. And the Bible doesn't just speak of fruit in terms of attitude. It also talks about fruit in terms of action. Look at Colossians chapter 1. Um, this is an example. Colossians 1, starting in the, the middle of verse 9. It says, We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That's kind of what we're doing now, studying the fruits of the Spirit. We're trying to gain knowledge of God's will and spiritual understanding of what the fruit of the Spirit is. But verse 10, so that you may do what? Walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work. And growing in the knowledge of God. See, the fruit of the Spirit isn't only for attitude. It is an attitude. The fruit of the Spirit is an attitude. But the purpose of the attitude is to produce an action. It's to come out in the way we live. The way we serve God. The way we worship God. The way we serve other people. So if the attitude of the fruit is in you. The action of the fruit will come out of you. This is what Paul is saying. If the, like, like, there is no scenario here where you have the attitude, but you don't have the action. Like they're connected, they're together. He says, if you have the spirit, these are the attitudes that will be in you and those attitudes will produce themselves in fruit of work in your life. So they are together so God doesn't just let us off the hook to say oh well these are your attitudes but you don't have to do anything with them there is a direct call in scripture to walk in them to obey them now I, you may be thinking like I'm thinking that's not easy and most of the time when I'm trying to walk in the spirit, I'm stumbling and I'm tripping over myself and sometimes I'm falling flat on my face. Well, 
we can't do it on our own. And that goes back to the, to the thing we said in the beginning. And here's a, something to write down. When God gives a command, he always gives the capability along with it. This is, this is our comfort. This is our strength. To know that, yes, this is a high standard that we're called to. To walk in the fruit of the Spirit. To walk in love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And yes, just about every time I say that, I'm going to list every single one of them because they're all a part of it. But to walk in those things every day is hard. And it just reminds us of the incapability that we have on our own to be able to do that. But God says you can do it. it we, are, we are copping out on God when we say, oh, I just can't do that. Then we're calling God a liar because he says, I've put the capability in you. You don't think you're a very patient person, but you have the capability to do it. Why? Because the Holy Spirit gives you that capability. You have the capacity to be self-controlled. And you can do it if the Holy Spirit is in you. So it's that discipline, it's that choice to walk in that. And so this is really important to remember as we keep going and we start looking at all of these individual characteristics of the fruit. So let's look at the first one. The first one on the list is what? Love. Why would love be first on the list? You wonder? It's very obvious. It doesn't take us long to figure out why love would be the first on the list. Look at uh, Galatians chapter 5. Back up. Go back up a little earlier in verses 13 and 14. It says, For we were called to be free, brothers and sisters. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But serve one another through what? Love. For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. What did Jesus say when they came to him and said, Teacher, what what is the greatest commandment? And he said, love God with everything you have and love people like yourself. So if Jesus himself would sum up the entirety of the law in two sentences and both of those sentences start with the word love, it's pretty easy to understand why Paul would list love as the greatest virtue in this list of virtues that describe the fruit of the Spirit. And see, there's no real ranking or order. Don't be fooled. This is the only case where there's a ranking or an order. All of the rest, as we go through and talk about them, there's not one that's more important than the other. There's not one that, he, that he's listing in a way that, that ranks them except for love. One has to come first. And so he on purpose has listed love because love is the greatest. It is the one virtue that holds all of the others together. Think about it. Any of those other things, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all of those things are, are motivated and held together by love. I'm patient because I love. I'm self-controlled because I love. I experience joy because I love. Love is what brings peace into my life. My love for you brings peace into our relationship. 
So love is, is a component of all of them. And that's why it's the greatest and that's why it comes first in the list. That word for love is the word agape. And we've talked about agape before. And if you want to go back and look on our website and listen to old sermons, um, in February, <coughs> excuse me, in February of 2019, you might remember we did a whole series on 1 Corinthians 13. And we talked about every one of these specific characteristics of love and, and exhaustively looked at each one of those words and what that looked like. Agape love is different than all the other loves. There's lots of words that the Bible uses for love that describes the way we love our, our friends, the way we love our spouses, the way uh, the kind of um, sensual romantic love that we have, um, the way we love our college football teams and, and, and food and all those kind of things. We use love in all sorts of ways. But, but this love is unique and divine and superior to all the others because it describes the very character and the nature of God. And so you say, well, what is God's love? What does agape mean? Well, 1 Corinthians 13 is the greatest understanding of that. So let's turn over to that as we're reflecting on love. What does that look like in us? So let's just read uh, some from 1 Corinthians 13 and and see what it says. Um, look at verse 1 through 3. This is, these are important. Sometimes we skip over them. You may have heard the, these verses read at every wedding you've ever been to, right? But look at verses 1 through 3. Paul says, If I speak human or angelic tongues but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains, but do not have love, I am what? And if I give away all my possessions, and if I give over my body in order to boast, but do not have love, I gain what? Again, this is another example. No wonder love is listed first in this list of virtues of the fruit of the Spirit. Because Paul literally says in these verses, I can have everything else, literally. Everything else. And without love, it is useless. It's empty. I mean, look at what he says even in verse 2. How huge that is. Think about what it would be like. If I had the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, what? All knowledge, all means all. And if I have all faith that I can move mountains, do you mean to tell me if, if I were able to gain all knowledge, and some of us think we know everything already, but that's not what I'm talking about. All knowledge and all faith that I could go out and speak to the mountain and tell it to move and it would get up and walk. If I could literally do that and I don't have love, nothing, useless, empty, void. So, of course, love is first. And so then he describes 
characteristics of love. So think about how deep these descriptions in Scripture are. We have this list in 1 Corinthians 13, long list, to describe what love is. And love is a word that's part of another long list to describe what all of the fruit of the Spirit is. So, like, how deep these descriptions are. Look at verse 4. Let's just read them together. Love is patient. Love is kind. Just think about, evaluate your own life. Love does not envy. It's not boastful. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not irritable. And does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. So, hopefully you can make your own application as you just read God's word. And think about the relationships that you have with your your spouse, your kids, your your friends, your co-workers, your church family. And you can think about how those things apply in the way you express the fruit of the Holy Spirit out of your life. But I made a list for myself Because that word agape is different. And I know that I'm capable of lots of different types of love. And I don't want to get my version of a different type of love mixed up with this love. Because they're different. And so I just made a list for myself. I'll share it and maybe it'll be helpful to you. Of of, I love when. Or I agape when. I love when I have long endurance for irritating and annoying people. Now you chuckle at that. But that's love. That's what love is patient means. It's not that you, you're willing to sit in the crystal line to wait for hamburgers. That's not the kind of patient. That I have a long endurance for people who are difficult. People who hurt me. I agape when I treat and speak to people in kindness all the time. Regardless of the way they treat me. Also, I do it in front of their face as well as when they're not around. Kindness. I don't sugar them up when I'm in front of them and then when they're not around... Talk about them like dirt. Kindness all the time. I agape when I don't get jealous when someone has something that I don't have. But even more so, I love when I'm genuinely happy that someone else has something that they enjoy even if I don't have it or can't have it. Like that's one level of love not being envious or jealous is I don't get angry if you have something that I want. 
But there's a whole nother level of virtue and love that says, I'm not just not angry that you have that. I'm thrilled. I'm happy that you have that. I don't have it. I can't have it. But man, I sure am glad you do. And to be genuine about that. I love when I don't feel the need to magnify myself in my own mind or in the minds of other people. I love when I don't feel the need to make you think a certain way about me. When I don't feel the need to feed your compliments. Or to elevate myself in my own mind. To tell myself that I'm something more than I really am. I love when I take good manners to others seriously. When it says love is not rude, that's part of what it's talking about. Like we live in a culture now that's kind of forgotten a lot of that, I'm afraid. But manners matter. The way I behave <clears throat> and the way I speak when I'm around you, um, I'm afraid that, that too many movements in the world have, have taken away common courtesy and decency, especially uh, when it comes to the way I might act toward my wife or toward another lady. Like it's not chauvinistic that I would want to open a door for you or, or do something kind that way. Manners, manners matter. Um, not being crude and inappropriate for whatever situation I'm in. That's what, that's what love is. Not being those things. I love agape when I don't look for the way that something benefits me first. That my first go-to is not what's in it for me. Or what am I going to get? Or what good is it going to do for me? Actually, I love more when I willingly sacrifice something that I can't have so that someone else can so that something can be good for somebody else, it's gonna be bad for me. And I love when I say that's okay. And I also love when I sacrifice and I don't look for payback down the road. That's the other thing. I love when I don't demand that things go my way that I don't speak up and say, that's not what I wanted. Why can't this be? This needs to change. I don't like the way this is. So something needs to be done about it. That's not love. I love when I don't have a short fuse that blows up in fits of anger. 
And in evaluating all of these things this week, I'll, I'll be very transparent and say, I've, I've, I've failed at that one this week with my family. I've failed in that one with my wife this week. Our fuses have to be really, really long. I love when I don't hold grudges for days and weeks and years, but I'm able to let go of hurt whether the person apologizes to me or not. Like the days and the weeks and the years that I hold on and remember that one thing that they said or that one thing that they did. And you say, that's hard, Eric. How do I get over that? Just consider what God does for you. That's all. It's real simple. I love when I don't get pleasure from other people's bad circumstances or consequences. That's a tricky one. It's easy for us in our flesh to look at someone experience bad consequences or circumstances in their life, even when they deserve it, and not get a little bit of joy. You know how that feels. You're a little happy that they're going through a struggle. You're kind of glad that that happened to them because they, what, had it coming? Love, agape doesn't do that. And then I love when I always believe the best about people first. And I remain loyal to them even when it would be really easy to walk away. It's verse 7. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. I feel like agape never says, that's it. Agape never there is no final straw. Aren't you glad? So this is how Paul says these are the things that should be coming out of our life as a result of our salvation and the fruit of the Spirit being present in us. Love is a characteristic of that fruit. And you say, well, how do I love? This is how we love. So how are you doing? Many of you might be thinking, as I could be, wow, I really feel like I'm bad at most of these things. Not good at it. Occasionally I succeed, but most of the time I feel like I get it wrong more than I get it right. So does that mean I'm not saved? Does that mean I'm not a Christian? Because like these are all the things that I'm supposed to do and I struggle to do these things. I want to tell you one thing to end today that will help you understand, I think, how the fruit of the Spirit works in us. And is this last statement. You can put it in your notes. When I don't love perfectly, I'm able to keep trying because I'm perfectly loved. The standard... 
that we are reaching for is perfection because it's Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate picture of what the life full of the fruit of the Spirit looks like. Jesus is the, the standard. He's the greatest example. But because we're living in that battle, we don't always hit the standard. We're, we're sinners. That's why, first of all, we need Jesus. We need salvation because of our sinfulness. But even after we become Christians, we still fight and we still struggle. And we don't do it perfectly all the time. But we are, we are provided the fruit by a God who does love perfectly. When I'm not patient and I blow up with my wife or my kids... I can stop because the spirit is present in me. I can stop and remember the patience that God has with me. And then I can start over and keep trying. When I'm unkind and selfish, I can remember the kindness of God toward me and everything that he gave up that he didn't have to give up for me. And because that's present in my life, I can remember that be empowered by that, and I can keep trying. And when I can't forgive that person for talking about me or being rude to me or insulting me or hurting me, I can stop in the midst of that failure and remember everything that I've done to insult God. Everything that I've done that's been an affront to him and his word. And then I can... And then I can keep trying to forgive. I'm convinced in a weird way, and this may sound weird, that we see evidence of the fruit of the Spirit not only in our successful attempts to walk in it, but we can also see the fruit in the unsuccess. I see evidence of the fruit of the Spirit in my life when I fail, when I can't do it. Because there's something in me that points out the difference between what's flesh and what's spirit. And the spirit points that out and he shows me. And he reminds me of what I needed to be reminded of. And then he gives me the strength and the power to get up and keep doing it. It doesn't mean I'm going to do it perfectly from that point on. But every time I fall... He's always there because all those things that, that we are to be for each other, he is for us. Jesus bears all things. He believes all things. He hopes all things. And he endures all things. And that includes his endurance of me. So I don't think the fruit of love comes out of us perfectly all the time. But if it's in us, the difference will be seen. It will come out of us. Other people will see it. But even when it doesn't come out of us, the evidence of the fruit will still be present in the way we're learning, in the way we're processing, in the way we're correcting, in the way we continue to walk, even through the stumbles and even through the trips and the falls. So my question this morning is, have you experienced that agape love? If the fruit of the Spirit is in you, then that agape love is in you. Do, you. do you know it? Have you experienced it? Do you recognize his presence in you? 
even this morning, even in the midst of whatever failure you're thinking about, all of these things that we've talked about, and you're thinking, man, there's where I messed up this week. There's where I'm struggling. Maybe I've struggled for years with this one. But is the, is the fruit working in your heart, showing you the evidence, letting you see, helping you get back up, helping you to keep trying? Because if you, if you have experienced his love, those things are going to come out of you. If you have the Holy Spirit, that fruit is going to come out of you. And it's always going to be present in you. But, but if it's not, then that's what the gospel offers. You can receive it. It's all about his love.